If you are looking for the front page of DeFi, look no further than Zerion.io. Zerion is your home base for managing your DeFi portfolios. Zerion offers a central place for you to engage with all of the DeFi protocols and assets that you engage with on a daily basis, but all in one central spot. Here you can see I've loaded up a wallet and Zerion is giving me the portfolio performance of all the assets in this wallet over time, as well as a breakdown of all the assets that I own, as well as all of my transaction history that I've ever done in an easy to view fashion. Zerion also lets you invest right into DeFi's best yielding financial opportunities right from their homepage. Zerion also makes it super easy to access interest in DeFi using applications like Compound and Aave in the background. And you can also exchange your assets using the Zerion app using an exchange aggregator in the background to make sure that you always get the best rates. You can even use the Zerion mobile wallet to add your MetaMask or Argent or another Ethereum address right into your mobile wallet so you can see your portfolio and engage in DeFi on the go. Here I just loaded up my Argent wallet and now I'm going to load up my MetaMask as well. And Zerion will do the same thing. It will add all of my assets and wallets together all in one space and give me a portfolio summary of what's going on. Adding wallets is trivially easy. If you already have a MetaMask, you can get it right into the Zerion app and it can sync with your desktop app as well. And the best part is you can also buy Ether right into the app itself. Use the invest tab to look at all the things that you have invested in as well as other opportunities. And coming soon to the Zerion app is the ability to buy and sell your assets straight from your mobile device as well. So download the app. It works on iOS and Android. Go to Zerion.io, plug in your wallets and get a historical report of your portfolio over time, as well as a comprehensive breakdown of all the assets that you own and how much yield they're generating for you. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is. You can, you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart Monolith smart contract wallet on Ethereum. So it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a, a, a savings account that gets software updates. So this is, this is something that you're never gonna find out in the real world, but you can still do real world things with you know real money in, like buy your groceries. So that's just fantastic. Coming soon to Monolith, actually already here to Monolith, is now you can buy DAI and get it sent to your wallet directly, right? So it's also being an on-ramp. So you don't have to go through your centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini or wherever. You can just go straight from your bank account right into your monolith checking account smart contract wallet. So check them out at monolith.xyz. Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another Bankless Community AMA. Super excited to bring this to you on a Thursday. As usual, these AMAs get released on our YouTube live, and then you can also hear them on the podcast. There are two ways of tapping into this. And if you want to ask a question, you can go to YouTube right now, get your question in the chat box. Either myself or David will field that question 
as it comes up in our conversation with Mel Gelderman. Mel is the CEO of what we call a bankless visa card, the CEO of Monolith. We've been wanting to do this conversation for a really long time. Mel, how are you doing today? Good, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you both, David and Ryan, for uh, for having me on. Cheers. I've always for being been here. very yeah, yeah. I've I've always been delighted um, to be able to like sponsor your whole operation, so or at least the podcast. So, so yeah, it's... thank you for uh, having me. Well, it's fantastic. Um, you know, David and I are very like selective in terms of the um, the products and uh, like the the sorts of tools that we put on the podcast in mm-hmm. front of our listeners. So it's got to fit the thesis. Um, it's got to fit the thesis. It's got it's got to be products that we love, use ourselves. Um, we can't quite use Monolith yet because, uh, unfortunately for us, we are U.S. based. But hopefully, we could talk about that. But Mel, I think some folks um, might not know what monolith is i was wondering if you could give us an overview of what the monolith visa card is and some of the other stuff that you guys have put together for the DeFi bankless uh crypto community who who want to live a bit more self-sovereign want to live on that frontier that we're always talking about um without having all of their funds and assets controlled by the bank so what do you guys bring to the table here at monolith yeah so um, I think fundamentally the premise that Monolith, Monolith is building on is the idea that there was going to be one day this Ethereum economy, right? This, um, this you know, parallel financial system that would emerge on top of Ethereum. And, um, and we're actually seeing that, right? The last two years that has actually started to come to fruition, right? More and more quickly uh, by the day. And um, what we wanted to do for that, what we decided to do a few years ago was to try and build um, a functional equivalent product um, to um, what, what everyone in the world currently uses today, which is a bank account, say. And, but instead, um, the financial services that we're, that we're providing are powered by the Ethereum economy, what we today call DeFi, which is a much more catchy term. Mm-hmm. Um, I always regret not coming up with the term bankless ourselves, but what we are trying to do is um, we are allowing, trying to allow people to live essentially a bankless life that doesn't um, have to change the, the user's habits, right? Like that they can't pay in the shop anymore, say, <laughs> uh, and do and receive, receive their salary anymore, right? Because the reality is, although there's probably you know, optimistically, like a hundred thousand or so people who actually use DeFi to some degree or other in the world today. Maybe that's too much. Um, the reality is, the rest of the world for years to come will still be entrenched in this massive old financial system that exists today. And therefore, um, we have to build a product that tries to incorporate that old world. Uh, into this new thriving but fledgling DeFi economy and, um, and and allow that to just yeah like harmoniously work together right and that is what monolith is so so very practically that means that we have a non-custodial wallet um, a DeFi wallet and um, we are attaching to that more conventional financial services right so most notably obviously we have a, a visa debit card right and um, 
where indeed lies in the European Union and the UK, which is virtually the EU, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> that's where we're live today. But um, yeah, we, we um, this is just the, the um, birth ground of our is, products. Is this, like, this is just like the age old crypto dream of being able to go to Starbucks and buy your coffee essentially without fiat, without a bank, if you so choose in a self-sovereign way, right? Like, yeah. I feel like crypto has talked about this dream mm -hmm. since 2012 and 2013. And you guys yeah. are actually pulling it off because, you know, it's one thing to have a, uh, a Visa card in crypto, right? Like a Coinbase can do this. There are other crypto banks that, that do this, but to do it all non-custodially from a smart yeah. contract wallet, that sir is truly bankless. Uh, and, and well done for bringing the, the crypto dream to fruition. I, I feel like that's like, did that motivate you guys? Is it, did you uh, always want to ba basically be able to use crypto in a practical way? And is that the reason? It is, for it is so funny. It's so funny that you mentioned that because that's completely right. This is how it started. So back in, as you state, the, you know, the, like the early days of crypto, when Bitcoin first emerged, 2013, um, I was so in love with Bitcoin. It was the best thing I'd ever seen. Right? It was so anti-establishment. It was. <laughs> it was. You know, it was the most outrageous technology that uh, I knew of at the time, and um, I was so obsessed with it. I basically ditched all my bank accounts, cancelled all my bank accounts, and decided to only live with Bitcoin. And um, I started to travel around. I quit university and started to travel around and that was a really hard life living with just Bitcoin back then. Right. So I would literally, there was this map back then and I'd have to use like uh, mycelium, right? Like peer to peer. I'd have to physically meet people in, in person who would give me Taiwan dollars and I would give them some Bitcoin. Right. And it felt like this really dodgy deal, but that's what it was like back then. And, um, and, and why I believed that was so important to me, is because I wanted to just put my money where my mouth was, right? Like I believed that with Bitcoin originally, we were starting to see um, this new zeitgeist emerge, this new phase of society, right? The starts of that. And um, I wanted to live that, right? Like there were so many people in our industry back then who were just talking about it when no one was actually doing it, right? No one was using Bitcoin day to day. And, and I wanted to do that, but the reality was it's next to impossible, right? Like. You're only going to do that if you're absolutely obsessed with this stuff for any normal person that's just not a way to live and the reality is that adoption of crypto directly has not really taken off yet even since then right and it's not something that is going to happen anytime soon either um and um and therefore it just makes most sense to incorporate the very best of the old world which basically is, you know, the payment networks among, among other things, and just incorporate that into, um, you know, our, our crypto experience, right? Um, and that is indeed how originally it started. Um, yeah. Well, that's a fantastic story, Mel, and you clearly have a ton of energy and excitement and, and passion, which is exactly what you need uh, to, to really build out something fantastic in the crypto space. So tip of the hat for, for all of that. You definitely have the right, the right vision. I, I want to get to the topic of like 
you talked about moving into this new world, this new phase of, of humanity, which is something that we see in the in what something we talk about on the Bankless podcast all the time. We also talk about the friction between a new world and an old world. And this seems to be the um, what Monolith as a company is really targeting as a problem, right? Like we have this old world and we have this new world and there's a disconnect between those. And Monolith tries to bridge that disconnect by offering a smart contract wallet where you can hold your assets and then a Visa card where you can use it in the old world. But that br- I, I would imagine building that bridge is pretty difficult. Can you kind of describe how that bridge is constructed and how a visa card comes to be connected to a smart contract wallet on ethereum yeah yeah um indeed it's not easy (laughs) um we have to you know like if you compare us to a lot of like uh, crypto wallets that exist today or DeFi wallets um that exist in our space today a lot of them don't really have to deal with the real world. Basically, they can operate entirely within the, you know, within the DeFi space and the, you know, the cloud realm. We can't do that. We have to operate within the, you know, the established financial world simply because we have, we want to offer those services. Right. And so that means that we have to offer, we have to do AML. We have to follow all the AML uh, anti-money laundry uh, rules and regulations in in the EU, and we have to do KYC on users. And this is, you know, to appease the regulator, but also to uh, make sure that Visa is confident that we are not, you know, laundering money for, right, or, or like for for users, right? Um, I think, um, yeah, those are those are pretty significant challenges um, because, in effect, what we have built, we haven't just built an Ethereum wallets, right? Uh, contract wallets. We've also built a complete um, like challenger bank, right? Um, forget the bank part specifically, we're, we're not a bank, but um, like le- legally we're not a bank, we don't hold use deposits, but um, we have had to build the same as, you know, in Europe we have Revolut and we have Monzo and we have N26. We've had to build all of that stuff as well. And that's something that, um, you know, other Ethereum wallets haven't necessarily had to do so yeah it's an incredible amount of work Mm -hmm. and um it's pretty amazing that we've actually pulled it off to be honest Mm -hmm. so So yeah when you swipe your visa card how how does die or any other asset if if there are other assets uh how does that come to be a transaction on ethereum yeah so we have um we have um Currently, the way our system works is that a user has to top up. So in our experience, a user goes to their card screen and they can press the top up button and then they can choose from a list of ERC-20 tokens that are supported for top up, um, which one they want to basically convert into fiat to put on the card itself, right? Um, This is how a user transitions from funds in their contract wallet in their own control to having funds on their Visa debit card. Um, There's a very direct uh, action that the user has to take. They physically are sending a transaction from their own control into effectively, uh, you know, like a a backend service that we run, which will top up their card with with that amount in in pounds or euro equivalents. And that they can then, you know, assuming the 
it takes 15 seconds to confirm that transaction within 15 seconds <laughs> these will have you know uh, money on their card um we are able to transition to a more direct model um where the user doesn't have to do the top up um but that is until quite recently that hasn't really been allowed by the powers that be because um visa for example wants to keep quite a strong distinction between you know the crypto network and their network <laughs> they don't like when when people get the impression that oh visa supports ethereum directly right mm -hmm. so um but this is starting to change um and we have that option now so um and we do want to reduce friction um so we we probably will end up doing that <laughs> Is there is there an oracle that's involved with that transaction, or if say say you have some like perhaps some niche ERC twenty token that has a relatively low market cap, low liquidity, but you, it's supported on Monolith because you guys are awesome. You guys you guys support a bunch of stuff. Uh, how do you guys actually come to know how much fiat to deposit into the Monolith uh, fiat into the card as a result of that transaction? Where where does that information come from? Yeah, I think we are. Um hooked up to most large, um, well, in some cases, on-chain oracles. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> we we have data feeds from, price feeds from most large um, sources. So CoinGecko and Chainlink um, and CoinMarketCap, but CoinMarketCap sometimes doesn't support all of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we have, a, like, lots of price sources. Um, yeah. And, okay. and Perfect. Um, for the most part, um, especially for stable coins, we are adamant on making sure that the price the user is getting is actually the price of the token itself. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, if we want this ultimately to be this platform that can replace um, users' bank accounts today, then there can't, can't be these additional fees that don't exist today, right? We can't have a, a service that kind of like takes a step back. So um, we, we, we <laughs> pretty much, we are genuinely the cheapest place to use and use your crypto, <laughs> honestly. Okay, so I, I want to, to, we can tie a bow off of the, like the mechanisms of how money gets into the Visa card. And I want to tie that off by like defining what parts are trustless and non-custodial and what parts are custodial. So it sounds like the, the product that Monolith offers is that it allows a user a pretty strong amount of flexibility with how much trust they want to have in a, a third-party in, institution, right? And so the monolith smart contract wallet seems to be the non-custodial trustless part of the equation. And then the flexibility of being able to top up your monolith visa cards, like when you put $500 into your monolith visa card, that becomes the trusted part of the equation. And the what's really compelling to me is that a, a user gets to measure how much they put in their visa cards. Like, well, I only want to put in $50 today, or I want to I want to load it up with, you know, $500, $1,000. And that having that flexibility is really valuable. And there's no other way to do this. Like, how else do you get integrated with the Visa network without having a um, a, a trusted uh, third party to get in, to connect you to the network? What is the network except a trusted third party? Is that is that like the right way to view these things? That's completely correct. Um, the additional benefit that doing it this way has uh, is that the user can choose when they are effectively topping up their card. For, right. So for what price, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say the price of ETH is really high tonight. Um, they can choose it. <laughs> they could choose up. To, 
they can choose to top up like a thousand pounds worth of ETH now rather than mm -hmm. at the point of sale, which may not be the right price for them, right? Right. So you you could you as an ether owning individual, maybe I'm walking to my local coffee shop and then I realize like, oh snap, I actually don't have any money in my Visa card, my monolith Visa card. I can just throw it right in there, and by the time I get to the coffee shop, that Visa card is ready to go. So that that feels yeah. pretty damn like self sovereign and 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 empowering to me. Yeah, I mean it's still, um, you know, like um, this is currently the most trustless attempt in the world of creating, you know, this, this type of system, right? And I think people can get really caught up in the, the theoretical black and whiteness of, mm. of, of a discussion like this. But, you know, obviously we want to get to this most right. trustless destination, um, but this is just where we are now and we're, we're always moving further towards that. Yeah, you, yes. you guys seem to really emphasize the, the user always has the choice. And if that is true, then that is that is what we want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, what's really interesting about this, Mel, is uh, you're, you're talking uh, earlier about how like getting this all up has been difficult. Like it's you didn't take shortcuts in terms of setting up this infrastructure, right? But I, I'm also struck by um, how that approach is kind of like a long-term approach here, because um, like you talked about Monolith being almost like a DeFi bank, right? So now that you have the Visa Bridge, you have it one location right now. You can, of course, expand that to other locations. Fingers crossed, US, we'll get to it. Um, but also the smart contract piece, right? It, the, the wallet piece where, where a user might keep most of their funds, that is essentially the most valuable bank account any sovereign individual has ever had. I tweeted this out recently, like my Ether account is 100x better than my Wells Fargo account in terms of raw power, like superpowers it gives me. And every single day, my Ether account, my Ether wallet, that address becomes more and more valuable. Why? Because there are thousands, soon to be hundreds of thousands of people developing money Legos, DeFi protocols to make my Ethereum bank account even better, right? Yeah. So like, Software updates. Now the, it's software updates. Now that you have this smart contract infrastructure, right, where that, that's keeping a user funds, you have access to suddenly every single ERC-20 asset that gets put on the Ethereum blockchain. Not only that, but you have all of the other protocols, the ability to do trades maybe in the future, right, from that account, the, the ability to deposit uh, some of those funds into a compound or an Aave, like get a loan, lend them out. Whatever is built on DeFi becomes part of the monolith wallet. That seems to me is like, that's the best way to do this whole thing, right? Because you're tapping into DeFi. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe that side of things on the smart contract wallet side? While your money is yeah. sitting idle, uh, what sorts of things can a, a user deposit them in today? And then what, what do you have in store for the future here? Um. I, look, I think you're completely correct. So the fundamental premise here is that unlike, say, a challenger bank, um, like a Revolut, um, we don't have to build all of the financial services ourselves. Right. Instead, we benefit from probably some of the most bright people in the world who are currently, you know, engaged in building this totally new 
financial system. And, and our users, as long as our platform is set up for this, our users stand to benefit incredibly uh, from this. So, and it, it's a lot bigger than, than crypto, right? So, um, you know, if during the last big bubble in 2017, um, 2017-18, crypto was interesting to, crypt, crypto as in like old school crypto was interesting to say, a hundred million people at most in the world, um, uh, like you know, captured mostly by Coinbase, and you know, probably fifty million by all the other exchanges combined. Um, what DeFi is doing is is potentially you know, most of these people who are interested in crypto were young, adrenaline-seeking males, right? Um, whereas what's happening in DeFi today is that. Um, rather than it just being, you know, all of this basically speculation, it's going to be about financial services that basically everyone has need for. So it's not going to be that this is interesting for just 100 million people. This will be interesting for, you know, potentially a billion or more people. Um, and I think that ultimately that is, is where Monolith is trying to go, right? So the question that is really started to emerge in the last probably year or so uh, it's become more apparent is that as DeFi is accelerating um how what will be the way that regular people will really interact with DeFi? that's still a huge question and um you know originally the thesis was that um, perhaps people would interact with contracts directly, right? That, um, you know, that, that some would have to gain the knowledge of understanding what a compound or an RV is and, you know, interact with these contracts directly. Um, this works for people like all of us, right? People who are listening to this podcast. Um, but the reality is that already today, the pace of innovation in our space is so large, it's, it's literally going exponential, that um, it is the, there will be a moment where, where no one, not even the most bankless of us, uh, will be able to keep up with what's going on. And, and therefore, um, chances are, the way you know, a normal person will interact with DeFi in the future will actually be through several layers of abstraction. Right, so, um, and, and, and what I'm trying to say is, um, what Monolith, the, the path that Monolith has gone down today is that um, we have built this, um, uh, you know, uh, without my compliance officer losing his mind, um, we've built this, you know, functional equivalent to a bank account um, for the DeFi crowd, for people like yourselves and the listeners. Um, but, um, we will have to evolve our products further. Um, there is a second chapter here <laughs> that we will be, that we're embarking on and to make that um, work for everyone else. Because um, the reality of DeFi today, as much as we love it and it's fledgling, is that it is only serving the DeFi elite. There is not a single person outside of the DeFi elites or just DeFi in general, the community that is actually benefiting from DeFi today. And um, 
And that's because we, you know, <laughs> and therefore this is the, the piece of work that we want to try and go down. You know, just to give a practical example of that, if I go to my mother um, and, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> like to her, choosing between 20 different dollar tokens doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. And right. 20 different dollar tokens is today. Tomorrow it'll be, ten, you know, like a thousand, right? Um, and therefore what we think, um, at least where we're going, is we want to build this tailored, curated and safe experience um, that still maintains all of the properties that we love about DeFi, um, but that does allow a normal person who doesn't want to stick all of their time into understanding all of this, because most people don't want to, right? Um, they just want to get on with their life. Um, we, but we do want them to be able to access the benefits of DeFi. Um, and that's what, like, ultimately, um, we're focused on right now, um, because we think that within five years, there won't be, you know, like, like chances are there will be an experience of money that is so much better than what you can get in the conventional financial world today that hordes of people are migrating to it, right? Mm -hmm. That there will literally be, you know, probably by the end of the decade, for sure, there'll be a billion people using DeFi. Chances are that's going to happen within the next five years as well. And we want to make sure that we're the company doing the homework to try and figure out um, what that's going to look like. I always, I always think it's funny, the, the people going bankless right now in DeFi, right? They're looking at things on Etherscan. That's almost like looking at the the firmware level <laughs> of your computer. It's almost like, uh, you know, how often do you open up command line on your Mac OS and like type in some commands? I mean, I'm using the user interface 99% of the time. And so are 99% of people who have Macs. So we are just operating at this very firmware command line level right now when we see things in Etherscan or we're using an Aave interface. But to see what's going to be built on top of this, like at the user interface level, the operating system level, that's where mainstream starts coming mm -hmm. around. David, we should probably uh, yeah. jump on a couple of uh, questions that are coming in because they're coming in hot. Yeah, we got a, a question from, from James from the YouTube, which actually fits right into this conversation. And so I'll, I'll give it a little bit of a, a preface. Mel, you talked about like building out a product for the legacy world, right? And I think if they come on to this monolith smart contract wallet, Visa card or, or any other um, company that is tackling problems like you guys are going to expect some certain features, right? And, and uh, one of them might be like uh, spending limits, right? Like spending limits on your card or like what happens if somebody loses their Visa card? Can, you, can they just go and start swiping until it just gets drained? Like what are some of the, the uh, legacy features that one would expect to find in a bank account that they also find on their monolith smart contract wallet? Yeah, so um, we have today implemented um, the, the features that you would kind of expect from a very modern card experience, right? So if you indeed lose your card within the app, um, you can immediately freeze your card or block your card even. You can also unfreeze it <laughs> in <laughs> case you find it again. Um, and yeah, you can replace it. So mm -hmm. um, and if you hit the replace button within, you know, th well, on average, three to five days, you'll get anyone in the mail. Um, wow. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then also what about the ability to auto pull from your wallet into your card? So maybe you have $0 on your card, but you swipe it anyways, and it defaults to a specific token or maybe ether itself and it swaps it right then and there. Yeah. Is that a feature that's coming? 
Um, I, that is a great feature suggestion. Um, it's so the the thing is that would require the phone to create a transaction on behalf of the user sending funds from the contract wallets from their own control into the top up service for the card. Um, currently, we're not doing that, and because we want the user to basically feel like they have control and authority over that. What instead we can do um, is that um, we will send you a notification that the moment you know your balance on your card goes below, let's say 200 euros or something, um, it's telling you, hey, you may want to top up soon, right? Um, yeah. Bell, this is a, a question coming in on Discord from a bankless member, uh, Gabor. Um, he is, or gee, I'm not sure, uh, is asking the question, if you've had discussions with banks on your technology, and I think the more specific question is this, uh, it sh he makes the comment, it should be appealing to them in particular jurisdictions where they're not permitted by regulators to offer custodial services. So could there be some idea of Monolith offering banks like these some kind of a, a white label type of solution? where they get access to the smart contract wallet and the, the, the monolith card. And it's like, you know, um, city, you know, monolith by Citibank and onboarding, onboarding customers from banks into this bankless world. Any, any thoughts on that? Um, I'm afraid I only half understand the question. What, what he's, he or she is saying, um, that, um, some banks Just wondering can't hold custody. If if there's a way for you to partner with banks in any way who are sort of afraid to enter this whole DeFi space and you uh, kind of solve that problem, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, I think, look, the, the problem with running a company like ours is, or the curse of running a company like Monolith is there are so many possibilities. There are so many avenues that we can go down. And our space is so exciting that, you know, we could change direction almost every month. <laughs> um, the thing I think um, I want to do most with our company is um, I just want to nail one thing. And that mm -hmm. one thing that I really want to nail is I want to make money fun for normal people, <laughs> right? And I think and we can do that with DeFi, and we can make we can make this experience of money which people have never seen before that they haven't seen with you know all these challenger banks from the fintech world um, or anywhere else. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think um, that's what we're focused on. We absolutely could go down an avenue of white labeling our products, right? Like that definitely gets asks. Um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think the other side of this is we also are quite conservative in how we run our company. So we haven't hired a massive team, right? Um, and um, part of the reason for that is that um, we know that DeFi is quite a long game, <laughs> right? We are here. Um, uh, we want to see the day that DeFi reaches a billion users, but that isn't next year, right? Um, the reality is we are probably still 0.0001% of the way towards that. That's the percentage of the world that currently 
maybe even knows what DeFi is. Um, and so um, we are, you know, <laughs> we just want to um, plan for what is realistically going to happen in the in the near term. Um, I guess I, I don't know if that half answers your question, but that's a great question. Um, yeah. No, that that was fantastic. Mel, we have a bunch of more questions that we want to get to, including questions about uh, the TKN token, which I think made treasuries cool before they really rose into popularity in DeFi summer 2020. Uh, so, and we also have a bunch more user questions, which we're going to get to, but we got to take a break and talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a hardware wallet. There is no alternative for storing your crypto in a self-sovereign fashion. That's why I have four ledgers that I use to manage my different crypto assets using the Ledger Live account as well. Ledger Live is like your home base for managing your Ethereum, DeFi, and crypto accounts. It does a really good job of aggregating all of your different Ethereum wallets if you are the type of person that uses more than one. But you can also add other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Cosmos or whatever your preferred blockchain is. And then it will display an aggregate portfolio of all your accounts at the main page. One thing that Ledger is doing a really good job of is enabling all of the money verbs that me and Ryan talk about with the Bankless Skill Cube enabled in the Ledger Live app. So right now in the Ledger Live app, you can buy, sell, lend, swap, and stake your crypto assets, which is doing a really good job of fulfilling all of the money verbs in the Bankless Skill Cube. Something that's new to Ledger Live is Ledger Swap, where you can swap assets one for another directly inside the Ledger Live application, ensuring trustlessness in your financial activity on Ethereum and on Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about what you can do with a Ledger, go to the blog post, The Power of Ledger Live on the Ledger website, where they share some of the more advanced things that you can do with your Ledger that you might not have known about. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to the Ledger shop where you can get your preferred Ledger hardware wallet. I personally like the Ledger Nano X, but I also have both. They're both great options. When you own a Ledger, you own your own assets in the way that they have been designed to be held by the user and the user alone. So go get your ledger today to make sure that you are as self-sovereign as possible. The Bankless State of the Nations are brought to you by Wiren. Wiren is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. Wiren is a system that seeks out yield in DeFi, and it does that in a number of different ways. Well, a very aggressive way is with the vaults, where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token, right? And so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi. For those who want to just earn yield on their stablecoins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stablecoin and Wiren will go and figure out which money market on DeFi and DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYTX, it's Compound or Aave, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stablecoins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people are doing as well. All right, guys, we are back with Mel from Monolith. And Monolith has this uh, token, this TKN token, which the token model I've always thought was pretty fascinating. And I think we've seen a lot of derivatives of that token model come out in DeFi summer 2020. But TKN was kind of the OG with this treasury model. Uh, Mel, can you kind of explain to us uh, the TKN token and its role in the Monolith ecosystem? 
Yeah, yeah. I you're you're right. When um, Dave and I originally designed TKN, it was pretty novel. <laughs> Not me, by the way. Different David. Um, <laughs> different David. Yeah, my co-founder. Um, um, I think um, yeah, what TKN currently does is upon a user topping up their card, um, uh, that transaction, um, the function that they call to top up, on our, uh, basically our side of the contract system, actually um, tells the um, tells the user to send a small fee uh, to this uh, this different place, which is this, the the treasury, basically, right? The the TKN treasury, um, and token holders um, basically own what's in that, right? So we originally pioneered this burn function, where you would have to burn your TKN. Um, to receive your pro rata part of all the funds inside this um, treasury contracts, um, that where that is that was the current thinking at the time. That will definitely <laughs> change and go away um, in favor of a lot more of the, you know, more attractive models that have kind of been pioneered in the last year. Um, I think overall, though, um, where we really want to get to is um, if we are planning to have a system where um, we will have essentially hundreds of millions of users that are all using, um, that are using Monolith because it is a very convenient way to get much better money than they're used to, access to much better money than they're used to through DeFi. We can probably charge for that, right? Um, because we are providing a convenience to someone who has absolutely no idea what the hell, you know, like a, a compound is, right? <laughs> or an RV is. Um, and um, if we can work that into our token, where there's effectively, you know, a very large user, user base that is getting benefits from DeFi, but that, um, but a percentage of that is, is going to the token. Um, I think that's when we, that's the place we want to be, ideally. Um, and if we can feed that back into the product itself, where users, as they are using Monolith, the products, um, they also become co-owners of this project in a certain sense, right? Where they're receiving TCAN, um, that they become more invested in mm -hmm. using this product, right? It's not just that, oh, money is better but I actually start to own this platform, right? You can't say that with Bank of America or, you know, HSBC or whatever. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, we can do much more outrageous stuff, but, but this is, I think that's the, like the ultimate goal, yeah. Right, okay, so every time somebody swipes their Visa card at, at the grocery store, they use up some of their money, and so then they need to add more money. And at that, when they add more money, when they top up, that's when a small percentage of those money gets added to a treasury, which you can burn a TKN token to get your fair claim on the treasury, your pro rata share. Is there anything, does the token, um, is it mapped out to be a governance token where the community can actually direct the the future of monolith or right now is it mostly just a value capture token um it is mostly it today it's a value capture token um we have been incredibly um impressed honestly by 
like the projects we've seen emerge right <laughs> in the last year um you know avi and uh like yearn with you know like all this on-chain governance right and the level of feedback that like feedback loops that that can create um we absolutely think that um if, if we want to succeed in building a, a DeFi for the masses <laughs> um you know like financial interface um that we need to employ the community on the DeFi side of the equation right so um if um, we can ultimately turn TKN into a governance token where we're not necessarily the ones figuring out how um, you like regular person's funds should be allocated within this DeFi space, which is always growing in complexity. Instead, we can outsource that uh, to the community and, and create a system that rewards the, and you know, pays the community for that. Um, that's ideal. Um, so yeah, I have that answer to your question. Yeah, that makes sense. And it very feels much, uh, feels like the REI cooperative where if I have a, an REI membership, I go to REI, I buy something there. And then at the end of the year, they send me back a little cash back and dividend. And so I, I would imagine that if you are a monolith user, there's a there's an elegance into the alignment between having the token because then you're just getting cash. It's like a cash back Visa card. You know, you swipe your monolith Visa card, you get a little cash back. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is that is the TKN token the uh, monolith business model, or is the actual specific monolith team funded in additional ways or alternative ways, or is it, or is it all based on the token? Um, I think the ideal outcome is for all stakeholders to be completely aligned, and so ideally, indeed, we charge exclusively through the token um, because monolith is a very large stakeholder in the token. Um, and yeah, it kind of creates, you know, a really <laughs> sexy streamlined system. Um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there is probably more to come on that, on the economics of that. I want to get to a question we've sort of teased from, from the start of this mail. And it's a question we've probably had like from at least a half a dozen or so <laughs> thankless members, which is when North America when the United States, is that on your roadmap? And if so, do you have any estimate on when that might be coming? Yeah. Cause we'd love to have our own bankless visa cards. Yeah, here. when, when can we add to the treasury? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I wanna like, first of all, the users that we already get from bankless are the best users, right? Like they, they, they use our product the Naturally. most, they spend the most, <laughs> so, um, and I super appreciate indeed all of the requests from users in the US. And so um, the US absolutely is a, a large priority on our roadmap. Um, as for when, the uh, that's a little bit harder to specifically say. Um, I think the the biggest thing that we're trying to understand and overcome right now is the basically the regulatory um, environment because it is very different than Europe mm -hmm. and we're already having like Europe isn't easy um, like they just rolled out AMLD five right anti money laundering directive five and um, basically every country is implementing it differently and um, 
as it stands, our compliance team is largely preoccupied with making sure that like we are completely happy within Europe even. Um, but um, yeah, as soon as they can kind of figure out the, the, uh, how we would do this, handle this in, in America, we are commercially, we are, we know exactly what we want to do and we're basically ready. Um, we just have to kind of finalize our position on that. Um, yeah. So you I guys mean, are kind of waiting on the regulators. Basically, that's the hardest part of this whole thing, right? It's not like a technology limitation. It's not, you know, distribution limitation. It's just regulators. Yeah, it's it is. Um, it's a big project, right? Like um, we would, we probably will have to end up hiring um, a team in the U.S. Um, just for compliance reasons alone. Um, and yeah, like we're 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 approaching that stage, but. <laughs> Not quite yet, um, but yeah, like Bankless will be the first place where uh, we can announce uh, <laughs> it will be. Well, nice. we, we cannot wait. And, you know, another thing I, I love to see is, and this is a question that, that came in from, I think, a, a bunch of Bankless folks uh, actually even coming into this, is uh, can you talk about your design? Because people get these monolith cards in the mail and it's a pretty unique experience. It's not like receiving a, you know, a typical um debit card visa card from from your local bank or from like you know capital one here in the us it is like branded it is packaged in such a unique way can you tell us that the history of of your branding and, and packaging and um like what like just just tell us about the art here it's super cool yeah yeah um i mean this is just me being completely crazy basically um i think <laughs> I think it all stems from what Ethereum really is doing for the world, right? So, um, you know, like uh, back in the day when David and I, my co-founder David, um, first met, we met in Taiwan and we were, uh, we'd, we'd, you know, <laughs> we were partying a lot and talking about Ethereum all night. And um, around the time we'd watched this movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? Which uh, a lot of you probably haven't um, watched because it's very old. It's very old from, from 1968 or 69, Stanley Kubrick movie. But in it, there's this um, um, big, the, there's this big black stone that appears every time humanity is transitioning from one stage, from one epoch to the next, right? Um, you know, like when <laughs> in the beginning of the movie, famously, you see basically these 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 monkeys, right? These apes, and they see this big black monolith, the stone, and and that you know, in the movie, that's the moment they transition into like early civilization stage, right? And and later they go from the civilization to the space age, and eventually to the singularity. And every time the monolith is there, and um, back when Ethereum had just launched, David and I had watched this movie. And we truly believed that we were witnessing the real life equivalent to Stanley Kubrick's monolith in the form of Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. That Ethereum itself symbolizes this technology, which is transcending us from our current age, let's say the, the post French revolution age, right? Into something that I would tangibly say is actually the space age, right? 
we, we, we know only us, only people in our industry and probably only people who are so deep into Ethereum, like, like our listeners and all of us, um, truly can appreciate the, the profound level of change that may be possible because of this goddamn genius that Vitalik, you know, was and he created Ethereum, right? Like, like we, you know, we, we fundamentally, if we can change the economy, we will change governance. We can change all aspects of our society. And we actually may not die in a nuclear fire by the end of the century, <laughs> right? And, and that is what, that is ultimately the, the, the belief that I wanted to convey maybe a little bit, you know, maybe it was too much, maybe it was too crazy, but to our current audience, that was the message I wanted to convey visually, where um, with Monolith, right, um, we are trying to materialize Ethereum's transcendental potential here. And um, that's the brand and the vibe we want to carry. Um, and indeed, for describing it for our users, um, for, for listeners, and when you get the monolith box, right, it's covered in artwork, which is, you know, kind of hinting of this, you know, futuristic world. And when you card is suspended, it hangs there in space and it's supposed to be a monolith. And our current cards are green, but we are about to launch. Well, I mean, I'll say about to launch. We have new cards and I actually have one here, a production sample. So, uh, and they're in the shape of the portal, the one you can see behind me in the background here. We oh have my God, four dude, new that, designs. That is beautiful. It's <laughs> awesome. And, and so it literally should be that when you open the box, the card is suspended, it's floating in there. It's kind of a visual illusion mm -hmm. and it's a portal. And you know, what you're seeing is you're, you're seeing a portal to this new Ethereum realm, right? And, and the characters, all of these characters, these, you know, these, um, these characters that we have, and they are you, they are the user. They are what we call the Ethereans these first pioneers of this new realm, people who once were human, right? But who have now stepped into this new realm and have become, you know, almost mutated into these new beings, which you represent as like human animal alien hybrids, right? Uh, just because, you know, animals Space are fun. Squids. Yeah. Space, <laughs> Space yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, like that, that's what we all should feel like when we're pioneering, when we're using Monolith, when we're pioneering, you know, all the amazing stuff in, in our DeFi economy. Um, anyway, that, that was, that was what we were It's super that. cool. You know, bankless Visa cards is better than the, the black Visa card that all the celebrities have. It is definitely a rite of passage. Yep. Here's somebody from our Discord actually showing one off. Yep. <laughs> that is cool. That's very cool. Yeah, Mel, I, I love the energy that, that you bring to uh, to the description of, of how you view Ethereum, and we definitely share share that vibe as well. Um, so as we come to the to the conclusion of, of this AMA, what's next for Monolith? Like, what what can users and, and people expect uh, to see in the remainder of 2020 and early 2021? Um, I think we're we're rolling out a bunch of features that um, are quite pressing. Um, we want to make um, the product really like be the ultimate tool that someone in the DeFi space can use, right? So, um, you know, like we have to solve for gas basically, <laughs> and we have to solve the people's ability to actually interact with all the DeFi stuff. Um, beyond that, I think what we're currently doing internally 
we're going through a massive exercise. Um, we have we have like one very amazing advisor um, who's got incredible experience in the finance world, who's kind of overseeing the next evolution of Monolith, um, where we really in the next year are, are setting up to achieve um, the dream I've outlined of creating a DeFi experience that is tailored to um, someone who doesn't know what the hell DeFi is and that will deliver them an experience of money that they just can't get anywhere else. Um, that's what um, we're basically, yeah, like right now most focused on and really excited for. And yeah, we're gonna blow everyone away. <laughs> Solid foundation. We are excited uh, to see it. Thanks for hanging with us on this community AMA. You know, Mel, I, I can't let you leave without asking this last question. I don't know if you're into them, but we kind of like price predictions a little bit here on Bankless, don't we, David? So oh, only. <laughs> I'm wondering if you, I'm wondering if you have one. <laughs> Do you have any price predictions for um, Ether and, and Bitcoin? Let's, um, let's do it in this window, in this next bull run which we think we are just starting, uh, call it the next bull run, the next two to three years, price predictions for ETH or Bitcoin. So in, in three years, you're saying? At the peak. Price in three years? At the peak. At the, well, yeah, let's say peak bull. Peak like, bull, yeah. What's, peak the, what's our mountaintop? What is our Everest, sir? Um, I mean, geez, I haven't made a price prediction in years. Um, Now's the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're fun. The gut take. Don't think about it too I, hard. You're already thinking about it too hard. Yeah, look, I think uh, Vitalik and his cohorts are probably um, some of the most excellent people in the world. And I am an absolute diehard believer in the fact that Ethereum will succeed. Sure, others may succeed as well, um, but Ethereum is the one to bet on. Um, and that means that you know, as the world actually starts to realize what the hell is going on in our space, it's not just about crazy speculation anymore. It is in fact about totally uprooting the nature of our society. No price is really high enough, right? <laughs> but but obviously it has to peak somewhere and then it'll all come crashing down and then we're back in, you know, awful, awful times again for a while before it all goes up again. I would say the next mega bull run, ETH probably would be, I don't know, you know, probably like, it'll definitely go over 10,000. Um. <laughs> there you go, 10K, multi, yeah. a trillion dollar market cap right there. Mel, 1.2 <laughs> yeah. has been a pleasure to have you on the Bankless Community AMA. Uh, please come back sometime. And uh, thanks for all the work you guys are doing. We appreciate it. Uh, I super appreciate what you guys are doing for the space. And thank you both, David and Ryan, for having me. Cheers. And all the listeners. Excellent. Take care.